I think there's an appreciation for um, not only just eating out, but I think a sense of service, just the act of service of having a drink made for you, having someone, you know, greet you and like serve on you is like, I think that's what we all miss during lockdown and just the act of hospitality. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 2020 will be remembered as one of the most challenging for just about everyone on the globe. The hospitality sector has had its hardest year on record and the true impact is yet to be fully realised. But amongst the heartache, the closures of businesses and the loss of employment, there have been some amazing stories of success and new avenues of opportunity too. Trisha Greentree is the executive chef of 10 William Street and Fratelli Paradiso. Tricia, how are you going? I'm good, thanks. You've uh, recently been announced as the executive chef of both of those amazing institutions in Sydney. How does that feel? Um, it feels good and natural. Um, it was definitely something that wasn't planned and it did come out of um, the COVID kind of break, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely one positive that came out of a restructure and like a rethink of the businesses. Well, you were uh, yeah. heading the kitchen at 10 William Street um, prior to the pandemic and it's celebrating 10 years this year and for Telly 20 years. That's pretty incredible for restaurants. It is. And I, I'm, I feel very lucky and fortunate to be a part of like the celebration. Well, not really. We haven't really celebrated. We chose not to because of just the year that has been. Um, but just more so looking, just happy to like be on board and like bring it into the next chapter. Can you take us back to early on when the pandemic happened and, and sort of what impact it had on 10 William Street and your role there? So um, I was actually just transitioning back into the kitchen after a four month maternity leave. Um, and that was quite rough as it was because um, you know, being a new mother, the bushfires, and I was living in Tamarama at, the, at that time, and you know, in an Art Deco building, and um, the smoke was really um, was just a horrible living situation with a newborn. So, like, I was it was already just like a frantic time at that stage, and then I decided to go back to my mother's house and just kind of chill up there for a bit, and then started to think about work again and I phased myself, started to come back around end of February, March, doing a few couple of days a week and then, you know, it was simmering around that time. COVID was happening um, in Italy and Asia and, yeah, and then I think I was back for two or three weeks and then we will close down. Wow. So it was kind of, wow. <laughs> it was a it was a really crazy time and like I was actually like I was actually just looking through my photos and having talking to the boys about I can't remember because I think I've just blocked it out <laughs> like what happened because it was just so chaotic and but you know there was a few good takeaways like it was good to be back with everyone during that time and just kind of um all I remember was just like taking it day by day and managing it daily and I just remember being happy to be back in the kitchen with my team, my small team that I look like. We're all very close and 
we we're, were all just so happy to be reignited again and then to go through that with them was just it was kind of bittersweet because I think you know I was back and I could take charge in a sense and kind of just be in the storm with everyone while expressing milk as well (laughs) (laughs) it was just hectic what was it like for you what what was the feeling was there a, a bit of relief as well given that you were just you'd just become a mother and you a few months earlier and did it allow you more time oh yeah like once we decided to close um and we definitely decided to close before the government um shut everything down um it was definitely for the health and safety of everyone that worked there but also our customers we just didn't really feel safe to operate and because it is such a business that is set in stone we didn't really want to pivot the business and we did do takeaway as such but it just was I mean if you know 10 William Street like the kitchen and the setup is not really set up for packaging and all of that but we did do um one of the smallest kitchens in Sydney I think it is and we did take away mainly for the locals and everyone supported us and it was great um but you know we did decide to close and after like packing everything down like of course when it all settled in I then did realize that I should just you know enjoy this time and just look after my loved ones and my baby and just um, enjoy the extended maternity leave so it was actually a blessing it was you've had the chance to reopen again what's it like trying to juggle motherhood and to you know, such influential restaurants? Um, it is very difficult. I um, I remember, and so like during that time, it was during COVID when we started to rethink to open up the businesses again. It was that time when the boys had asked me to take on the new role. And, you know, it was, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out every day, every week. But, you know, I'm really lucky that I have such such strong support from the boys that allows me flexibility I have like amazing teams and people that just we just make it work for everyone and myself and it just um but yeah it's just learning every day I think I in during that lockdown I did google a few times if if there were any other chefs out there that did motherhood and I couldn't find anyone like if there was any interviews or like anyone because I have I don't know any female chefs have, that have gone through motherhood except for one, Alex Herbert, who I've worked for. Um, and I just, you know, like she, her voice just always flashed back in my mind, you know, when I was trying to manage everything. But there's there hasn't – I don't know many, many, but, yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out as I go. You've worked with some incredible um, chefs and at amazing restaurants. Can you tell us a bit about the path that you've taken as a chef? Well, I started um, later at 25 years old after completing university and travelling and working overseas and then I came back and um, I decided to work with my hands instead of um, in academia. And, um, yeah, I, I landed in Alex Herbert's kitchen at Bird Cow Fish I remember just reading the newspaper. I was actually um, working at a friend's cafe at Kofa and I just 
you know, back then it was all in the paper. So I saw an apprenticeship um, ad and I just called her up and we had a talk and, you know, she told me about her experience and like where she's come from and she kind of had a similar background to me starting late and um, whatnot. And so, yeah, I did a trial and started with her and I was with her for like over a year. And then after then I did a few stages. I was staged at um, the Royal Mail and met Dan Hunter. I really wanted a job with him at that time, but I just felt that Dunkeld wasn't the place for me. But I did, I was definitely um, influenced and inspired by that time there. And then after that I travelled and I went to Los Angeles and I staged and then ended up ended up working at a place called Red Medicine by Jordan Kahn, who now has Vespertine. Um, and I just, that was, that was a really good experience for me because I loved the produce. Um, my family, um, my, on my mother's side is all based in Los Angeles. So I had a connection already to the place. So it was an easy transition to move to be in America and work. Um, yeah, and I loved it and I stayed there for a few years and then after that I went to Denmark. I can't even remember now. It's like <laughs> like I've, I, st- I started in Denmark and then I've opened up, I spent some time at, I opened up Mr Wong's with Dan Hong, Jiao Yu, Victor and that was a lot of fun. I really wanted to learn the woks and so, yeah, I just threw myself in the deep end there and learnt off Jowett and it was that was a great year of just everyone kind of just – it was a great opening team. I had a lot of fun there and we're all still very close. Um, and then after that I went to Bray and I spent, you know, a good amount of years there opening it with Dan and then after I left the kitchen I worked on the farm um, and then I did the book tour with him and then I spent some time in Melbourne. Um, but I could never find my place in Melbourne. It was I just couldn't really find the restaurant for me. Um, and then, yes, I spent some time in, at Franklin with Annalise for a bit of a hiatus. And then the boys contacted me about 10 William Street and I, then I decided to come back to Sydney and start that. Dan Hunt has an amazingly influential chef on Australians, Australia's culinary landscape. What was it like working in that kitchen? Um, there's definitely not enough time to go through all the stories, but um, it, like, it was a wild, like it was a wild ride. Like I, it was, I was very fortunate to um, already know Dan from the Royal Mail and it was, I think I was, it was just one of those timing things. Like there was four of us that opened the kitchen and, you know, it was like you kind of had to be a certain character, a self-starter, a self-motivator, um, like loved a challenge because, you know, the way that we started that whole business and endeavour and restaurant was just kind of when I look back at it wild, <laughs> like, um you know like I remember the first barbecue that we had outside was like a little home barbecue and the setup station was on a wheelbarrow and it was just like you had to see joy in that like even in like joy in cooking like that but at a higher level as the highest that you could go basically and um I just I've always been up for that challenge and just seeing 
kind of the joy in situations that might seem struggling or like stressful to others but um yeah no it was it was I mean it was it was huge I mean one of the greatest joys too was just seeing how the restaurant grew and like you know the team but also like the menu and then the farm that was amazing and like now like you just see trees that are like you know six years old that are completely fruiting but you you planted that and it's, it's amazing You've worked at such different restaurants and such di- with such different cuisines. How did you feel when the guys at um, Ten William Street contacted you about cooking Italian food? Um, well, I mean, I eat. If I was going to eat European food, I definitely always tend towards the Italian side. Um, you know, and pasta essentially is noodles. Um, and I do love the simplicity of Italian food, like the produce. And I was just lucky enough that I had travelled to Italy the year before and found lots of inspiration and just felt really at home there. And I was, you know, so it wasn't, it was, it was not so daunting. Um, you just got to keep it simple, I think, and then start from there. Like I just knew that I would strip everything back, go to the core of things and then build myself up in that way, do my research and whatnot. Yeah. Ten William Street is often on the list of uh, for must visits when you go to Sydney because it's just such a special spot. Uh, and there's a, there's been there's been dishes on the menu there that have sort of stood the test of time, like the pretzels. Have you had pressure to keep some dishes on the menu? Yes. The pretzel and the tiramisu came with the job contract (laughs) and the ragu actually but I actually got that off (laughs) um I didn't find it appropriate to have a ragu on on the whole year round especially in summer um but yeah the pretzel is still on and the tiramisu still is the same the tiramisu has been tweaked like with ingredients wise um but it's only to enhance it not not shy away from the original recipe you mentioned how you love the simplicity of italian cuisine could you run us through a dish that you have on the menu at the moment that you really love oh, um we have let me just apply the menu um we've got there's so many like i change the menu every week it's hard to keep up sometimes um well i was just think of the pasta Okay, well, so at the moment, last week we had um, ravioli with green peas and like a green verde sauce, which was delicious, but the peas are actually coming um, too mature now for like a pea dish. So we've changed, I've moved on to a um, smoky um, tomato sugo because I just can't wait for tomatoes. So I'm just like... Like, I just can't wait. I'm just like, it's already warm. We just need sugo on the menu. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's ravioli with that. And then we have a rolled white peachy dough with um, like a Puglia seafood inspired with burnt chili and pancreatado. Yeah. I mean, we do love pasta a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do a lot of pasta and change it pretty much weekly um ever since COVID actually like it was kind of um going into like 
a two-week kind of change, but after COVID, we were changing it definitely like daily and weekly because we, we just came back with so much more inspiration and, um, yeah, just so many things that we wanted to cook. And now you're the executive chef of 10 William Street and Fratelli Paradiso. How different is your your role and, and how differently do you treat the venues? Um, well, lucky I brought one of the chefs with me that was at 10 William over to Fratelli. So that was an um, easy transition for him to kind of get everything into gear with the kitchen and like just help me communicate when I'm not here the who I am and how, you know, what our vision is. And obviously it's, I mean, the menu, changing a menu and suppliers and producers, you know, that's all just um, paper, a lot of paperwork and legwork. But I think the hardest challenge is getting into cooks' minds and chefs' minds and teaching them a different way of seeing ingredients and um, cooking a different way. That's, that's definitely been the biggest challenge. Um, but slowly but surely over time once they get to know you and they cook your recipes and dishes and see how um, what culture you you know you'd like to cook in then you know it, it takes time it's only been about six weeks now um, but I would say in about six months they will definitely know like it will be you know it feels like mine now just after six weeks because all the produce has changed over, the larder has changed over. I'm using all my um, suppliers and, f- like, farmers. So it definitely feels like home, but there's still a few um, goals to kick in terms of um, the vision. Both of those venues are, are really rowdy, lively, energetic spaces in which to share food in. What, what, what are the restaurants like at the moment and what's it like in Sydney? Is, is it relatively back to normal? How, how does it feel in those spaces? Fratelli is um, almost – we definitely have reduced days and we haven't – so we do no more breakfast. Lunches are only on Friday, Saturday – we are looking to um, open up more services, but it's just a matter of finding staff. Um, the numbers are quite back to normal. Or, I mean, Fratelli is so lucky that you know it's got such a huge client base and regular and supportive regulars that as soon as you open, it's it's fine and it feels quite back to normal. It's just not that huge seven day seven day operation anymore. And then as for Ten William Street, because it was a bar it's and now we're doing bookings and limited numbers um it yeah it it's more of it's the vibe has turned more of into a restaurant more so than a lively bar um I mean it can still get I mean yeah so it's a little hard because you can't have anyone standing around the bar everyone has to be seated um everyone's spaced out but we're still um we're lucky because everyone's spending a little bit more um, we're doing maybe just a f- uh, we're doing the same amount of covers almost, but just staggered bookings. It's, you've got, it's a really tricky game to play trying to get the have a sustainable business in this time. But 
yeah, it was, it's, as long as everyone can like have bookings and accept bookings, like you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon for a light dinner, like then, then it it can work. It's just that the vibe's a little bit quieter. It's not as rowdy. Melbourne went through a pretty extensive lockdown, and how, how does that make you feel about the potential of that happening again? Oh well, I hope it doesn't. I mean, I was very sensitive when it was happening to um, Victoria. Um, You know, I had planned a trip for my birthday back down to Bray and obviously I've got a lot of friends down there. Um, And so, like, I was very, you know, sensitive and cautious not to, you know, put things out there and, like, small little victories and celebrations we might have here in Sydney, like, on social media because I just thought, you know, people are suffering in our industry. It's a bit... You know, like we're in Sydney and there's nothing, like we're just going, continuing on as normal. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely always in the back of your mind that I think now we just have become so um, regulated and so cautious and, you know, everything's in place now, like with all um, COVID standards, practices that, you know, that if it does pop up again, you you are aware and you kind of know what to do. So it's, yeah, it's not, I don't think it will be, before we had no idea. Like it was just completely like what is going to happen. Now, you know, we have inspectors come by the restaurant um, at least once a week in Potts Point to check all like all the QR codes, check, you know, all the hygiene practices and so it's, New South Wales is very nan- – it's a nanny state. So in a way it's kind of like benefited New South Wales because we are so regulated. Um, but, yeah, that's the only plus slide for the nanny state, I think. Um, What's your sense from guests coming in? Do you, do you think um, people appreciate restaurants more since the lockdown and that they've got restaurants back? Absolutely, I do. I think there's an appreciation for um, not only just eating out, but I think a sense of service, you know, um, I think, you know, a sense of place and um, and rest, like a, just going out to a restaurant and being serviced on, you know, you can't, just the act of service of having a drink made for you, having someone, you know, greet you and like serve on you is like, I think that's what we all miss during lockdown and just the act of hospitality. A lot of people on the series have talked about how much they've changed because of these circumstances, but you've had some two big changes this year, one becoming a parent the first time and then also the pandemic. Has, have you changed this year because of what's happened? I have, yes. Like I, it's the pandemic really, um, it kind of set in stone um, more conviction in myself and who I am and what I want to do and why I cook, I think, for sure. Like it kind of just kind of just cut away all the bullshit. You mentioned earlier that you sort of started late to chefing around 25 after going to uni and was food um, pretty uh, important in your life growing up? Was there influences early on that led you to eventually become a chef? Yes, I was um, very lucky to grow up in a house with my mother who's a very good cook. 
um, you know, I, we had a vegetable garden and um, she mainly cooked Filipino food. She was very attentive and very anal with her mise en place. So everything was, you know, like I had to pack dry lettuce leaves and peel mushrooms and like perfectly peel garlic and so like I had a lot of like informal training at home from her and like I had to one of my jobs was like if she was in the shower I had to skim you know stocks with like a chinois like the finest chinois and and she got that from her father so I was lucky that I learned just a natural way of cooking in at the home and you know cooking with your senses as well like when I was young you know, she taught me, you know, cooking an egg. If I cracked an egg and she heard that the oil was too hot, she would just yell at me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it wasn't like a – she didn't like the crispy edge. She liked like a blonde white finish. And so like those sort of things like you bring to a, a professional kitchen, you, you cook with your ears, you cook with your eyes, you cook with your, all your senses and you realise that that's kind of a head start to some people that might just cook with just their hands. Um, so, yeah, like I kind of used, yeah, you, it, it was just lucky that, you know, I could tr- easily transition just from the love of cooking at home to a professional, in a professional sense. Your CV is... Uh very global you've been all over the the planet and and as you mentioned earlier you traveled to Italy a year before uh, getting the job at 10 Williams Street how do you feel about international travel at the moment and how important it is to a career like yours um well it's interesting because we talk I talk about this with um some young chefs that I have at the moment who were meant to go overseas and work and now are stuck here. Um, And it's just interesting, like, the generational differences that we have. Like, they have – they're so advanced in, um, you know, and their access to information and their opportunities and their rights and, um, you know, fair work and, you know, gender equality and all of these things. But now they're, you know, they're unable to travel. So it was just interesting, like, reflecting on that and how we were so free to travel back, you know, before all of this. And I think it is definitely important. Um, But, I like, with travel, like, the best thing is that you're just putting yourself in a different environment and adapting and becoming flexible. It doesn't matter, like, where you are in the world. You You can travel so far, so wide, but yet the whole experience is internal and you can put in that experience in any kitchen, I feel. Like it doesn't have to be on the other side of the world if you can't get there or don't have that opportunity. I think that it's a mindset to um, to just take every opportunity as a learning experience and taking yourself out of your comfort comfort zone into a different kitchen and seeing what you can learn in another, and it doesn't have to be a formal kitchen. It can be someone else's, you know, grandmother's house or someone's house, and or a producer or a farmer. Like it's just about a constant like curiosity and learning. And yeah, I still think that you can learn just as much and experiences just as much, just no matter where you are. There's been a lot of discussion about the changing culture within the hospitality sector and the old days of 
80-hour weeks and um, abuse and also um, a male-dominated industry. What, what's your experience been like through your career? Um, I've definitely witnessed a lot, but I can – I think um, – you know, I've I've worked a lot of hours. I've done it all, but um, I think I think we've moved to definitely a great place. Um, strangely enough, for some reason now, I feel like I have a lot of more females applying for work than males. Um, you know, the out. You know, I'm all for the work life balance. We only mainly do four days on, three days off. We're all very healthy. Um, you know, like we all either do Pilates, yoga, swimming, surfing, and I encourage that a lot. Um, with like, it's you know, like, and I, I, it's great. Like, I just, I think it's very important. Um, and I don't think that you know it has to. You don't. You don't. It's no, not beneficial for anyone sustainably to be overworked or. Um, or being uncomfortable in a kitchen because of any reason, any reason whatsoever. But, um, yeah, I think it's a thing in the past and I hope it stays there. <laughs> and I think it will, for sure, especially working with some young people now. Like, they, there's no way that uh, it will go back, which is really hopeful and inspiring for me because I, you know, like I feel like, you know, my experiences and what we've done and, like, the hard work that we've put in has and things I've stood up for and has um, paved the way for it to allow it to be what it is now. And I celebrate in that. There's been a, a lot of talk about this being a time where a lot of corrections can happen in the restaurant industry that some thought were a bit broken uh, in the former model, do you think we'll see different restaurants and different offerings as we move forward out of COVID? Um, yeah, like there's, um, you know, like restaurants that are pivoted and found new business avenues um, that were successful and are going to stick with it. I think it's amazing. Like um, I just know the guys from Rogazzi have opened up a pasta shop in the city and that all came wow. yeah and they right. they that all came from the takeaway packs and so they opened up a um, little deli pasta shop called Chow Fabrica and it, you know it's amazing and like i haven't you know i don't know for certain if that's if the idea came before covid or whatnot but it's it's just a like i it's brilliant because now you can get restaurant quality pasta, you know, take home and, you know, I, I things like that that have stayed. I know for, uh, Josh at um, the Fish Butchery, you know, he's continued with his home um, takeaway packs, which I think are great. Um, you know, and like I'm always on the lookout for restaurants in Melbourne that are offering things that they can send. I love that idea too. Like if I could get, you know, um, things sent from Bray up here just for a present or for myself. Like I love that and like how Victor Leong's doing the eggplant sauce, bottles, all these things that help their business um, b 
because of the different avenues they've had to explore, I think it's a positive thing. After the year we've had, what are your hopes for the summer? Um, I hope for a festive summer, um, lots of celebration to say goodbye to 2020. <laughs> like, I think we're all nearing that point now. It's like, oh, my God, we've just got one more month and then we can say goodbye. <laughs> like, And I feel like that's kind of – here in Sydney, I feel like that's in the air of, like, the sun's out, we can go to the beach – as of this week, actually, they're changing the meter meters from 1.5 to 1.2. So it could mean an extra body or here and there in the venue. So it just seems more festive and more relaxed. And I think with the records of no cases, I think that I think everyone's just going to like just enjoy the last bit of this year and just say goodbye to it. <laughs> Well, Tricia, um, yeah. you're bloody amazing and um, taking on two institutions like that um, is incredible. In the year that you also became a mother, um, hats off to you um, and throw in a pandemic while, while you're at it. Um, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds. Please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>